0: Hello and welcome to the Modern Musclehead Podcast. This is Scott Tuzuna of MetabolicMasterpiece.com. As always, joined by my co host, Brian Cron of BrianKron.com. And today we have a very special guest, Borg Fagurli. Fagurli. Love. <laughs> I'll probably keep butchering that throughout the rest of the podcast. Just, Nicely done. just a brilliant, brilliant uh, physique coach out from Norway, uh, so we're really looking forward to picking his brain, um, I'll share some links to uh, his, his blog, his website today, uh, I've linked to it multiple times through my website, just sharing some of um, some of the stuff that he's got going on, research, probably the, the thing I've talked discussed the most has been myoreps, so we're going to pick his brain on that today, I'm just really excited to, to get you on the call here, Borg, so thank you for joining us all the way from Oslo, Norway today.
1: Thank you, yep. it's uh, nice of you to invite me.
0: Well I say, uh, let's fill us in uh, on your background in the, uh, in the training industry and uh, what you got going on.
1: Uh, well, I guess my background is that um, I always sucked at everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I...
0: <laughs> that's
1: great i was not really good at anything i mean no matter what i tried to do i mean play soccer or um run fast or uh, jump high or you know eventually lifting weights my my buddies w- would always be faster stronger uh you know uh be better than me so i always had this uh this cognitive uh, ability uh, um At a a very early age, I mean, I I learned to read when I was like four or five years old. Um, I did like advanced math before I started school, even. Um, So, yeah, so that's basically where I came from. I um, I just figured out I would try to find out how to, uh, you know, achieve some sort of results in myself. uh, just basically find the most optimal way of uh, doing things. Um, so, and that's what it ended up being. I mean, I could I could find a method or uh, a program or a diet or whatever that produced results in myself, and it would always produce twice the results in, in whoever I told it to. So, you know, that could easily break me uh, and break my self-confidence, but I just Sort of found a profound joy in helping others uh, achieving their dreams, even if I couldn't really uh, be the best in anything. That's well, exciting. That's, yeah, no kidding.
2: Yeah, um, yeah and this is—I uh, mean, I should say I'm, I'm a huge fan because I've been—I uh, was—I was following your work, I mean, man, my, probably at least ten years now, because you were posting um, at Lyle McDonald's uh, page under the under the name Blade, and yeah. every. And you're one of the few people there who, every time you posted, I would I would kind of learn something, and uh, it was really really cool. And I guess I just should, I'll send a shout out to Lyle who just who just banned me again yesterday, but that's okay.
1: That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a compliment. That's okay. <laughs> Whenever you ban, right. that means you're important. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and
2: that's okay, um, but yeah. But even back then, you were um, I mean you always were really kind of thinking out of the box, so to speak, uh, with, with terms of dieting. Now, would you pigeon yourself as kind of a, like a low carb guy or, or a, or a carb cycling guy? I've always had trouble kind of pinning you down.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you yeah, know, on, 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 the, on the tangent there. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time at last forum and followed a lot of his work and we had a collaboration going, uh, I actually, um, Contributed to his stubborn fat loss protocol, uh, his ultimate diet stuff. You know, we talked a lot of things over, and um, so, so that, that was kind of fun back then, you know, before he sort of went into his mental yeah. problems. Um, <laughs> great I, I also great books, boy. Yes, season. great
0: books. I got those books on my shelf. Yeah. D- yeah. Definitely yeah. very helpful. Uh, love the stubborn yeah. fat protocol. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. He credited me in in that one. uh, I seem to remember, so that was that was cool. I also actually, I guess, I started my internet sort of career uh, on um, hypertrophy specific training. You know, Brian Haycock's uh, discussion Mm -hmm. forum. So Mm -hmm. I I contributed. If you go into the FAQ section there. Uh, a lot of those posts are mine. You know, I just collected a lot of information and posted a lot of stuff. Uh, so, so that's basically where I came from. You know, I uh, back then I, I was actually doing um, uh, the high frequency training that I'm doing today. So it's it's sort of become, uh, you know, it's it's it's, um, it's gone full circle for me. Uh, and getting back to the the question. Um, I don't think you could actually peg me into either category because um, mm-hmm. the way I've evolved over over the years, you know, I, I basically tried everything uh, on myself and also on my clients, uh, and I've uh, had the pleasure to work with um, probably around two to three thousand different clients over the years. Um, and also being an engineer by education, uh, this uh, taught me to. To uh, have a systematic approach when evaluating information, <clears throat> so wow. basically just tying together all this uh, science and also the anecdotes and uh, and you know the theory and practice of it all, and sort mm-hmm. of uh, see the trends and see where you could uh, place things into proper context, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. why did the low carb diet work in that context but not in the other and why did high volume training work there and high frequency there you know so mm-hmm. just piecing together everything over the years allowed me to to see in what context you could uh, Use a low carb diet and a moderate carb diet and a high carb diet. So, and all of this, I I, I think I also have to give some credit to uh, Meno hmm mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's is a very good friend of mine. Um, we have now spent a year developing this uh, online training and diet generator that's uh, hopefully going to be released over Eastern. Uh where we've we've basically programmed uh, or had web designers, web guys program this for us, uh where you can adjust the training volume, the frequency, uh the diet, you know, whether it's high carb, low carb, the caloric intake and everything based on your level, your I mean your training age, <clears throat> how strong you're, if you're overweight, if you're underweight, um so so Again, to, to answer your question, there, um, I I'm not really a, a, a low or high carb or any guy. Uh, I adapt to the client. That's so, I, that's
0: fantastic. That you see so many people that they're just they kind of peg themselves in a yeah. corner. I think when they just stick with, yeah, I'm a high carb guy or a low carb guy, a high fat guy. Um, yeah, I think that can really hold you back, and especially if all of a sudden you find more research that kind of contradicts that. But we are all unique, and we all respond in, in different ways. In special
1: it. snowflakes, special snowflakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's really
0: exciting, though, about that that software. That I, I know I've seen mention of it uh, before. Um, that you guys were collaborating on the, on that so i'm i'm incredible that, that just sounds fantastic i'm really really looking forward to that now with menno is, is he really is he more geared towards that uh, ketogenic type diet the high fat um kind of moderate protein low carb or is he very similar to you as well
1: uh, well, I guess I would. Uh, I think Mano is more into higher fat type diets. Uh, I know he's been experimenting with some ketogenic diets. Um, we we spent a lot of time with Jacob Wilson when he yeah. when he visited Norway, so we got to discuss some very interesting research that that's coming yeah. out of their lab. Um, those, so those I, I guys excite like,
0: the heck out of me. I, I love seeing what's being yeah, produced out muscle, there. Yeah,
1: uh, two just doing. A lot of cool stuff with uh, with well trained lifters. I mean, that's what we all wanted to see. Yeah, uh, that's and that's and the key. Yeah,
2: yeah. I've no, I have no real interest in seeing what someone who's been training less than three years like how things work on them because it's just frick everything works, you know, yeah. yeah, to a degree. So that's that's really cool.
1: True. Yeah. So I guess yeah. So I guess Mena likes uh, higher fat diets, whereas I'm sort of. Well, it depends on the client. Right. Uh, I do tend to, I guess lately, uh, I'm, I'm more influenced by uh, Ari Witten because uh, we have this book project project going. And so we dug into a lot of research and he just finished his uh, low-carb myth book. So yeah. also having uh, not so good experience with uh, low-carb or ketogenic diets myself or in my clients. So... I uh, sort of uh, gravitated towards uh, more moderate carbs or higher, higher
2: carb diets. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> I mean, it's like listening to it's like listening to myself with a with a cool accent because yeah, I, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really into about well, I guess probably 15 years ago now, but really into like you know cyclical ketogenic diets and mm. I had three copies of Body Opus when it came out that kind of thing and. uh I think they're really cool but I think it's man it's kind of like a sledgehammer approach that most people don't need and and if and if you don't need it it's kind of a waste like like yeah. you know what I you know what I mean like it's just why not eat a little bit of carbs even and just make the process so much easier and and I just don't think the I don't know well you tell me like I don't see a huge uh, metabolic adaptation when when people go that route like I don't see better conditioned athletes or better performance or anything
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, um, there's. I, I, I think the big problem with the ketogenic diet is, is the adherence rates. I mean, they're, they're, they're just horrible when you look at it from a clinical perspective. I mean, even if you have like this, this really horrible uh, uh, epileptic children, I mean, with these with really crazy seizures that can't even be treated by medicine, and mm-hmm. and, um, and it's been shown that you know ketogenic diets is the best treatment for that. And I can't even get these children to follow the the diet because it's just so restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, do, just sticking to a diet approach that's so restrictive that you even have to count the carbs in in the nuts you're eating. I mean that that yeah, that is basically nuts. I mean seriously. <laughs> And, I mean, you have to limit your your vegetable intake and you can't eat fruits. And, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, to me it it doesn't seem like a lifestyle approach. So maybe, yeah, sure, it's something you can use to get in shape quickly and it's been shown to work uh, in the short term, even though you do require the adoption period of at least two to three weeks to really start to see any benefits and feel better. Yeah, which which in itself is is a uh, is a is, uh, is a downside of the diet itself, uh, in my opinion. Uh, well, but, but but still, I don't I don't think it's um, based on 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 uh, what I've seen with my clients. I think I, I can honestly say that it, it doesn't really work better than a carb based diet uh, well, in the long term.
2: Yeah, and I, I kind of. Call out the, the the adaptation factor, and like people always say that. Oh, after two three weeks, I felt better. I, two three weeks, I felt better, and you yeah, know, I, I'm not I'm not going to disagree that there isn't a, an adaptation going on physiologically. But I just think a lot of that is just that you know, dude, you're just getting used to it. Like you finally got over the fact that this sucks so bad, and you know yeah. you're kind of you know you're in a rhythm, and this is just how you eat now. And you're fucking dealing with it, so now you're yeah, you feel a little bit better. You're you're yeah, you know,
1: I, I, and then you eat a quest bar and you knock that out. <laughs> <laughs> so <great>. you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't really think it's a it's a feasible strategy. And and looking at the research, um, apart from the the studies by Jacob Wilson and also that uh, Brazilian study on those gymnasts that's been thrown around, mm-hmm. uh, it. There, there's absolutely no research showing that it works better than a carb-based diet. It, at, you know, at best it works equally well, uh, yeah. except when you try to do high-intensity uh, training. That, that's when it falls short.
2: Like when you say when you throw around high intensity, do you mean like heavy, like as in percentage of one RM, or like high intensity, as in like like high? Energy output, like sprinting, and anything without.
1: glycogen depleting, anything that requires glycogen or power output in, in sort of the one to twenty second range, it just seems to be uh, very limited. Very, uh, okay. you know, that's that's where it falls short. on yeah. carbon size.
2: Very cool. Very cool.
1: What are uh, what are some of the
0: <clears throat> indicators that you have your your clients? looking at when when kind of making those adjustments to to their macros whether they should be um, decreasing their carbs or, or increasing the carbs what, what kind of feedback are you looking for uh, from them
1: uh, well in the beginning I, I usually set uh, the diets according to uh, you know their body weight their activity levels um, body fat and uh, training experience because uh, I mean a beginner can tolerate a higher deficit because they can and they can actually still build muscle in a, in a higher deficit simply because they have uh, the ability to they have the beginner gains so they, they can partition nutrients better into uh, into muscle building uh, but the more advanced you get you have to be more careful with the deficit. Because um, it's easier to lose muscle and it's harder to build muscle, basically. Um, I also prefer to increase activity level, just overall general activity level by standing and walking and, you know, just basic low intensity stuff just to increase the caloric flux. I mean, it's, it's a concept that John Berardi talked about many years ago. And, and mm-hmm. there, there's, uh, you know, recent research showing that it's actually true. Um, So just a better overall metabolic uh, health and profile, uh, allowing you to eat more and also burn more. Um, But I think I prefer to have a certain minimum in in protein, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. When the calories are set, I usually uh, have the fat intake around 20 to 30 percent of uh, calories, up to 40 percent. Depending on the client, um, just for hormonal health, mm-hmm. um, and then the rest in carbs. So, looking at the adjustments, if if I have a if I have a client that, you know, they they have stalled their fat loss and they need to lower calories further. Uh, if there's still a lot of carbs, I can just carbs down, but. I, I usually prefer to, to drop fats first and then drop carbs. On training days, I just prefer to keep carbs as high as possible for as long as possible. At least, I, I, I never go below 150 grams with, uh, with my clients uh, on training days. Just, okay. just, to, uh, yeah, just to stay out of ketosis and, and have uh, sufficient carbs for um, you know, feeling, feeling good and having uh, good workouts
2: when you uh When you're working with someone, do you prefer to play with the dot, like scale back the the calories first, or do you like to increase the output first? You know what I'm saying, like, Which side of the balance do you prefer to uh, to focus on, or, or do you do one and then the other, or do you bo- do you both concurrently?
1: Uh, I always prefer to add activity first, so okay. just ensure that they have have a high activity level. Uh, That allows you to play around with uh, both the calories and the macros at at a higher level. Uh, But then, when when sort of that stops working, because I mean, there's going to be an upper limit to Mm -hmm. how much you can increase activity levels. Uh, When it becomes impractical, and I also don't want to add too much cardio, I actually rarely, if ever, use any specific cardiovascular training like. I know, I know, like Lane Orton is a fan of uh, this uh, high intensity uh, interval mm-hmm. training, um, and some some coaches use a lot of uh, uh, of this low intensity uh, cardio. I don't I don't really do that unless the client is is really sedentary, mm-hmm. uh, and in that case, I just uh, advise them to get out and, and, and do some walking, basic mm-hmm. walking. Not, not not like power walking or anything just just basically moving around uh, so up to a certain limit i mean when they're already moving around a lot then then obviously you have to uh, start dropping calories yeah so, right but, but yeah first activity and then calories
0: yeah it's it's amazing how how much your lifestyle outside of the gym <laughs> has an impact on on your metabolism and and the caloric burn at the end of the day compared to getting in the gym and and Kind of dredging through your your cardio session and, and see that you only burned 300 calories there, and that's time away from family and friends, and um, yeah, you can you can have fun, have a fun active lifestyle, and and uh, not have it not even feel like work yet create a bigger yeah. caloric deficit through that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead, just, just going from from sitting all day to standing all day, yeah, and you can burn just as many calories as you would do. Uh, doing one hour of hard cardio on the treadmill, so you know, pick pick your poison, right?
2: Although, I do have to say, I'm like, I was, you keep reading these articles of people trying to you know say that oh, fat loss is as easy as just you know, loading the dishwasher, you know, twice <laughs> a day, di- you know, just gardening, oh, now, and, yeah, yeah, gardening, and uh, you know, go to McDonald's, you park at the back of the lot, and I'm like, oh, come on, man. I mean, at a certain point. You know, at a certain point, you have to you have to focus on what you're eating first before any of that shit actually will pan out.
1: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> anyway, that's you, my rounds. Count out a Shitty. But... Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It, it's it's always gonna come back to how how well you're eating, uh, how well you're structuring your food, and, and and your food choices. Yep.
0: Now, how about for uh, for muscle gains? Is there is there some benefit to include some sort of cardio, whether it's hit or list, um, or is it more? Will it interfere too much?
1: I personally think it's going to interfere too much. Uh, again, it's a matter of degrees. You can't. It's not black or white. Right. It's, it's uh, just just shades of gray. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. But, I, I mean, I mean, just if if you're sitting on your ass all day, I think it's only going to help your recovery and, and your overall metabolic health just to get up and move around and, and do some overall higher activity levels. Um, I, I'm guilty of this myself. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time sitting on my ass working in front of uh, the computer. Um, and once I got into this whole... Um, well, I, I think it started when I read "Forever Fat Loss Formula" by R. Witten. Um and that that sort of um, yeah kind of opened up this whole Pandora's box for me, uh, where when I where I started looking into the the research behind you know just increasing activity levels and and um, so so that's that's when I got like a stand, standing up working station and. Uh, uh, become uh, became more conscious of um, having a higher overall activity level um, during the day, and I I noticed that this really benefited my my strength training as well. I could recover faster. Uh, I could recover faster between sets, um, and and I could also increase the training volume without really feeling so burnt out all the time. Because I mean. Having a higher activity level, you can also eat more, so you have more nutrients available, and, and that that also helps in, in creating a, a proper anabolic uh, environment. Yes, absolutely.
0: Sir. <clears throat> now, absolutely. It, how about um, training frequency? That's something I, I see you... Um, You're a fan of the higher frequency training. It's something that I have experimented with this year. Not enough. Um, I did it back in September. I was blown away at my strength gains during that time. Five, So training each muscle group five days a week. So doing full body workouts. Just one exercise per body part. Um, So I never really felt like the severe muscle soreness or anything like that. But uh, my deadlift went up. My bench went up. And uh, yeah, I was surprised. I felt pretty darn good, but at the end of it, I only did it for four weeks. Uh, I was feeling really, really good until the end, and I was like, "Man, I, this has been a little bit too much of uh, too much of a beating on my body." Um, how do you cycle through frequencies, and and what are your what are your thoughts on frequency training? And I guess we'll get to volume later on.
1: Yeah, well, they're kind of tied together together because yeah. I mean you can you can add volume by adding frequency mm-hmm. uh, but but i think both frequency and volume is something you have to earn um you as a beginner you don't really require a lot of volume or frequency uh you can you can you know train each muscle group um you know Every two to three days, and and get great results. Um, as you get more advanced, it, it becomes more difficult to add volume in one single session. Mm-hmm. So that's when you mm-hmm. have to start spreading the volume out uh, into higher frequency uh, training bouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's very important to cycle your intensity uh, from workout to workout, and. Um, I know a lot of these, uh, <clears throat> like you said, for for strength is great. Just just lifting heavy or um, like a low low volume, high intensity stimulus on a, almost a daily basis, and you can increase your strength really fast. But it does it does take a beating on uh, on the joints and the connective tissue. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think for hypertrophy mm-hmm. and, and overall. <clears throat> For your work capacity, you have to uh, you have to cycle intensity and go from like really low intensity to high intensity to medium intensity and and um, that that's where I prefer to use the myoabs mm-hmm. protocol to have uh, separate days where you only do this really lightweight myoabs training and then the next day you can go in and do some more heavy lifting if you want to.
2: Oh, no. See, now you brought it up. Now, now you brought up mile reps. So now,
1: now,
2: <laughs> yeah. so now Scott's got his... He's got, <laughs> yeah. Scott's getting all excited. So I'm sure he's going to want to get you to explain this a little bit better. And and yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I'm definitely... I've, I've become a huge fan of mile reps. Um, but yeah, just touching on that frequency, I think it was Jake Wilson who was recently... He might have just published some work talking about um, specialization training and really kind of picking one one body part and um, training it a little bit more frequently um, to help bring up a lagging body part. And he was talking about cycling um, the intensity levels. And I think that's really important. That's what I'm doing right now with um, my calves are crazy stubborn. Uh, Brian's going to be teasing me forever. I'm sure about that. Uh, Well, I shouldn't even call them stubborn because I do, I have to, I have to put in more effort and work to make those, those grow. And right now I'm training them more frequently. um, But I find if I do, do crank up the intensity and increase the volume work it I gotta really dial it back. I might just do some very light single leg pre- uh, calf presses the next day, and then kind of kind of alter that intensity level and volume each uh, each time I train them.
1: Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that works if you have a stubborn girlfriend as well. <laughs> No, I, I think you can try it and see how it works. i <laughs> having some success with it. So. <laughs> speaking of Jake Wilson, it's kind of interesting because um, um, the AFPT convention was in um, was it August last year, and that's when we spent some time together, just discussing a lot of uh, you know a lot of his research and a lot of uh, my research and. Uh, that's actually when I started talking about this higher frequency stuff and the Norwegian studies. You know, a lot of it unpublished, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, really? Wow, that's that's really interesting." And then, you know, just a couple of months later, and he started publishing articles on on this high frequency, varying uh, volume uh, on a daily basis stuff. So. I don't know if uh, I can take single credit for it, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, at least turn. I turn it. I turn him on to the the research. And about. that's
0: that's the beauty of what's going on in their lab right now. They, so they're they're having conversations with guys like you, and they're actually they're getting in the lab the research, and, and yeah. yes, very very so, exciting. So,
2: yeah. Well, like for a stubborn body part, I really don't. There's not many things that work better. In my experience, this is purely my bro science PhD. Uh, <laughs> you know, not much works better than than adjusting frequency. You know, and typically means just what training more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't know. It's just and, that's kind of a. I wouldn't say it's you know always works, but it's it's near. You know, it's probably the best thing that works, at least in my experience.
0: I'd say like yeah. you're right now. You're you've been doing the two a day training right now, and that's in a way increasing the frequency of, uh, hitting those muscles.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some research showing that twice a day, every other day actually may work better than, you know, every day. So, yeah. Mm.
0: Very cool. Um, so the I other think, thing, yeah, Jean- I think
1: I, I'd also like to add some on, on when it comes to loading parameters, um, for each muscle group. Um, cause you know, this is, um, Hanselman, has a great article series on this uh, called muscle-specific uh, hypertrophy, and it, it basically goes that you have a different fiber type distribution in uh, each muscle group, so that that sort of explains why some muscle groups respond better to higher volume, uh, higher frequency, whereas others respond better to lower volume and frequency, and there's you know certain. We, we usually prescribe protocols where we uh, first estimate the 1RM based on 3 to 5 rep max testing, mm-hmm. and then we will prescribe um, like an intensity instead. So, for instance, we'll, we'll tell people do 80% of 1 rep max in the bench press, and some people will end up doing like 4 or 5 reps for the bench, whereas others will end up doing like 10 to 12 reps, uh, you know, when, when you tell them to do 80%. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of interesting because it, it really ties together um, some of my own experiences because I, I used to do powerlifting and mm-hmm. I would have these enormous triceps whereas my chest would be really uh, underdeveloped. Yeah. And uh, when I did this testing, I, I found out that just testing the triceps separately and testing the chest separately my triceps would, um, at 80%, my triceps would end up doing five reps. Yeah. And my, my chest would end up doing 15 reps. <laughs> so this is why, uh, you know, the, the bench press, doing five reps in the bench, bench press would actually be perfect for my triceps, whereas it, it would sort of overload my chest and, and my triceps would, would always take over.
2: And me when, I, you were, when I
1: started doing benches in the 10 to 15 rep area, that's that's yeah. when my chest, my pecs just started blowing up. So that that's sort of interesting.
2: Yeah, I I hear the. I mean, I talked to Dave Tate quite a bit, and and I mean, he works obviously with a higher level powerlifters, and it's always the really good benchers. It's it's, it's the ones who have the strongest triceps. And, yeah. And, and shoulders and yeah it's it's not it's not even so much a, a pec exercise at that at that level of, of performance so yeah, that's true. interesting
1: yeah I, i'd also, say also some also some other research that was really interesting it, it came out a few years ago and it was um i don't think i don't think it's gotten the the attention it deserved um th- this is a group I, um, I can't remember the authors right now it was a group where they tested the cortisol response and the testosterone res- response by salivary testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they tested every single subject in the group and they had them perform like four different training protocols. It was like 5 rep heavy training, it was 10 rep hypertrophy training, it was 15 uh, rep high rep strength endurance training and it was also explosive training, doing 5 reps uh, with a sort of a 15-RM load. And based on how the individual subjects responded, I mean, uh, what what you may call uh, having a positive test to that training method uh, would entail having a high testosterone output and a low cortisol output after that specific protocol, Uh, whereas obviously vice versa. Um, If you had a high cortisol output, that would sort of be a negative stress response for you. And then they proceeded to place subjects in um, the protocol that they tested best on for the the next five to six weeks. And uh, whereas the other half would be placed on the protocol they tested the worst on. Now, after six weeks, they switched, you know, just to see if whatever results they had, if, if there was, you know, was it random or was it uh, a pattern there. Mm-hmm. And what they, what they saw was that when an individual was, I mean, uh, it, w- it was completely random. Some people tested best at, on five reps, some on 10 reps, some, some on 15, uh, and some on, on, on just explosive training. Mm-hmm. And um, for the next six weeks, all the subjects in the groups that um, you know, were placed on a protocol they tested the best on had amazing progress. I mean, there, there were no non-responders. All of them were high responders. And after the six weeks when they were switched around, the opposite mm-hmm. thing happened. So, and, and the interesting thing was that all the subjects, you know, they thrived on that type of training. Uh, they would all say, well, I just think this is fun. I love it. You know, it's great. Uh, whereas the other type of training that, that they really, you know, that they tested negative on, uh, uh, you know, they, you know, this sucks. You know, I hate this. It's like yeah. a power lifter, you know. They think everything above five reps is, is uh, just, possible, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think there's some truth to that. I think people will sort of gravitate towards the type of training that perhaps they're more suited for doing uh, if, mm-hmm. if you let them. And uh, this, this is what this whole no, uh, flexible, nonlinear periodization study that was also released by a completely different. Uh, research team showed that the group that was allowed to select between a 10RM, 15RM, and a 20RM protocol, depending on how they felt that day, they actually increased, uh, like their leg press increased 60 kilos in 12 weeks, whereas the other group that had to follow 10 or 15 or 20, and they were just um, cycled on a specific day, they have mm-hmm. like an increase of fifteen kilos or something. So I th- I think I think all of this is just really interesting because mm-hmm. both we are testing, but also uh, being more intuitive into what type of training you you prefer. You know what what provides a positive response, a positive stress for you. I mean, different, differentiate between a positive stress because that's something you just enjoy doing, and you know, getting a yeah. pump that whereas others hate doing 10 reps and five reps Mm -hmm. is more their type of training and and you know so 10 reps would be a negative stress response for them Uh, i I think that's something we we should uh, start being more open for instead of forcing everyone to do the same type of training right openness
0: that's that's key i think that's such a key to successful lifters out there yeah being open
2: having that open mind yeah i i do find and and i mean i read so much from uh from the eighties I, I just have a, a kind of a i don't know a a thing for the eighties i just think it's awesome um and i do find it interesting that back then you know dudes were doing a lot more reps seemingly uh than people are doing today at least you know you know you go on for granted there weren't message boards back then and all that stuff but it seems today everyone is trying to build their training around like, you know, sets of five, six, seven reps. Uh, but their goal is hypertrophy. And I always, I don't know, I kind of scratch my head thinking like, why wouldn't you, you, know, why wouldn't you at least toy with these rep ranges that we know are, are better for hypertrophy? I mean, yeah, you can still build muscle with lower reps, obviously. But, you know, you can certainly, you know, why not at least explore what guys used to do all the time, which is like, you know, 10, 12, 15 reps.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And also, when you start feeling that whatever training protocol you're on, when you, when you start feeling burnt out and and you know just tired and unmotivated, yeah. I think it's time to switch. And yes. that That's also what they showed in that in that uh, first study I talked about. Underway, this this one subject actually, you know, he tested the best on explosive training. And after six weeks on explosive training, he started testing better on heavy training. Really? Yeah. Really? really? So he, he switched over to heavy training for this, his positive uh, protocol. Huh. So I think wow. that's something you should really be uh, uh, in tune with yes. in your body and how you respond to it. And, and if something, instead of being stubbornly stuck to this one training routine, routine that you... You know, Ronnie Coleman is doing, or, or John Meadows, hey, hey. or whatever. I mean, just just sort of try out something different and see if maybe that's what you need right now.
0: Yeah, and I, like I you said, aware, awareness is key there. And yeah, when you try something new, you have to be aware of how your body is responding exactly. to that
1: as well. Yeah. This, this is common in all elite athletes. I mean, they're they're a lot more in tune with their bodies and how they respond to the training stress.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If yeah. not, I have a coach telling them. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I always see people saying, "Well, look at Ronnie Coleman, man. He was he was squatting eight hundred pounds, you know, six weeks before the Olympia." I'm like, "Yeah, he's he's kind of a genetic outlier." Yeah. <laughs> you're not him. Um, actually, something I, I found uh, online, uh, you kind of took a, uh, a, you did your own spin on on car backloading per se.
1: Yeah. This, yeah. this, um My old biorhythm diet concept was um, sort of similar to carb loading, but but never really too similar. Um, I mean, I did save up carbs uh, for post workouts and and the evening, um, but I was never like really like what Kiefer recommended—only having basically protein shakes during the day and then <laughs> going crazy on donuts and, and junk food. Um, in the evening, I, I never, I never could understand how that, you know, that 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 was cognitive dissonance in, in my, in my life.
2: yeah. We just call that dumb. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: dumb is the best word. Sure. All this pseudoscience science bullshit and and uh, like thousand references, study references, and half of them actually contradicted what he was trying to say. So
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But do you it's think that? If, honest,
2: yeah. Yeah, if, do you think though, if if you have a if you have a, a, a client using or any lifter using the same amount of carbs on a on a given day, but you know, subject A chooses to eat almost all of them in that last meal before bed, versus subject B, who's whatever, maybe he sp- splits it up evenly or what have you. Do you think there's a uh, there's a, a discernible advantage to doing that, like to doing the the backloading approach?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, um, <laughs> from, based on the research that, that we did um, um, for the book project that, that we're doing now, uh, it turned out that having some carbs for all the meals have their advantages. I mean, um, higher carb bre- breakfast actually um, outperformed higher fat breakfast in, in almost any any um, regard. Um, it, it just comes down to the food choices. I mean, having toast and jam and, uh, and orange juice and, uh, you know, breakfast cereals and all that stuff is, is going to make you feel like crap. But, but having wholesome foods and, and mm-hmm. you know, a balanced meal, that's going to make you feel awesome uh, if, you, if you have carbs. In there. Uh, so my approach nowadays is more balanced in terms of carbs. Uh, it, it's also based on hunger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, if you're really hungry or starving after training, if you did like the 20 reps squat protocol or whatever, uh, then have your carbs then. I mean, just just fill up on carbs. Uh, there is also research showing that carbs in the evening or carbs for the final meal, uh, it does have a distinct effect on the circadian rhythm. So. It can help. It can actually cure jet lag. Mm. Uh, that that's what some of the recent research is showing. So I think the whole carb backloading stuff is just a, uh, a way to to synchronize the cir- circadian rhythm. Uh, but then again, having to go all day without carbs and then loading up on it just makes you feel like crap during the day. And then yeah. when you fill up on on that many carbs, you just you know feel like crap afterwards. As well,
0: mm-hmm. It's interesting because there is a segment in the fitness industry who, who really – well, I think they, they say they thrive on the higher fat uh, protein breakfast, no carbs at breakfast. And whenever I post a, a photo uh, of my <laughs> breakfast and it's, it's, it's got a, a fair amount of carbs, it's balanced between carbs and protein – it's unbelievable how the, the comments I get from people are. They come up yeah. and say, Well, I, how the don't, aren't you, aren't you crashing? How the, aren't how you do crashing? you,
2: are,
0: are you struggling with your fat loss because of this? Uh, how do you, how do you manage to get through your workout when you have eaten carbs beforehand for breakfast? And it just, it blows, it blows my mind.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. And it's because people tend to overeat on carbs. You know, mm-hmm. people, yeah. people always choose extremes. So it's either, a lot of carbs? I mean, it's like a 200 gram uh, oatmeal porridge with honey and chocolate sauce, or it's no carbs. Right. So, I mean, yeah, what, yeah. what about something in between there? I mean, maybe you could feel great if you just had something like 50 to 80 grams of carbs and then some protein and then like some eggs or something to, to balance out the meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. what about that? Consider that.
0: Yeah. Now, with uh, in regards to circadian rhythm, how about like. Um, timing of your workouts through the day. If you have the luxury to schedule your workouts whenever you want, um, are there certain better times of the day that we should be scheduling our training, or is it just solely based on our lifestyle, whenever we can fit it in the best, I guess?
1: Well, there's some habituation there, uh, for sure. Uh, so whenever you, uh, you're used to training, that's, that's where you're going to start improving your performance. Uh, but, but there's a reason why I think it's like 90% or something of all world records are broken between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And there's a reason for that. I mean, that, that's actually where you have the highest body temperature. That's where you have the highest neural output. That's, that's where everything in the body is sort of synchronized for, for having the highest performance. So definitely for power and strength uh, workouts, I would say somewhere between 2 p.m. And, and 6 or 7 p.m. would be the perfect time to, to train. Uh, it, there's also something to be said for having an anabolic workout with at least one meal in you. Mm-hmm. So having one or two meals with uh, you know some protein, fats, and carbs, and then training, that's going to that's going to give the most potent anabolic stimulus versus having it in the morning on an empty stomach and having just some, you know, amino acids or or whatever. Um uh, I, I don't really think that's that's all that productive. Uh for endurance training, it it tends to be you know, it looks like training on empty might drive endurance adaptations better than than training on full. So that there's the whole, you know, train, yeah, train low, compete high concept mm-hmm. that seems to actually have some merit.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So it's yeah, so
1: hard, re- in the morning and then uh, hypertrophy strength in the afternoon. I think uh, that's. The perfect, so. I find
0: it really interesting. I, I, it really comes, it stems from the, the intermittent fasting community and some of, I, I don't know, somewhat cult-like there, but those... And again, they they seem to have very. um, Give me
1: a start on the whole intermittent fasting. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it blows.
0: I, I hear some of these, a lot of young naive guys, they'll come on there they love to work out first thing in the morning on their empty stomach and should never have anything. And they feel like they perform so much better and they just rave about it. I'm like, you're freaking nuts. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know how, like, but they're like raving about it. it. It's,
1: it's because you, you get, you get this artificial high from, from training on, on, uh, on basically your, your internal stores. Uh, there is, uh, this, uh, you, you get like this adrenaline output, you have high cortisol, you have, um, it's basically a higher stress response. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's why you you tend to feel better and perform better acutely. But over time, and this is going to be a huge uh, subject in in the book, um, by eating later in the day, by by moving your eating window later in the day, it will over time desynchronize the internal and external side You know, side is German for... A time giver basically, uh, so so it's it's gonna be you know you you'll feel great in the beginning, but over time it's gonna be more and more desynchronized, and you're gonna start feeling worse and worse. And I mean, see see all the intermittent fasting people. Uh, a lot of them just started. I, I I don't know how many I've talked to, but but they felt great the first month, two months, five months, six months, and then they just started feeling crap. And that's exactly why, you know, yeah. be, you know, the, the reason is just that you're you're desynchronizing the external cues, which is light, daylight, and the internal cues um, by by the feeding by the feeding window. So you know, it makes more sense to actually since breakfast is actually consistently linked to obesity. There's a reason for that too. Uh, so I think having just having breakfast and, and focusing your eating window during daylight hours just makes a whole lot more sense than desynchronizing it like that and skipping breakfast and yeah, potentially just depleting the neurotransmitters and, and adrenaline and the whole cortisol response and, and all that hormonal uh, fun thing.
2: So if you have a uh, if you have like a, a kind of a busy you know working you know. A, Typical family guy who you know likes to get his training done you know while his kids are still asleep and you know before work kind of thing. If he's running into the gym at, at five a.m. you know to crush his workout so he can be you know at the office and doing his job by seven. Mm. So would you recommend that you know he get up that much earlier to have some type of protein and carbohydrate meal, or should have uh, you know she just grab something liquid on his way? Like how would you? Cause that's a question I get a lot from kind of the normal dudes that I train because they all, they typically, they're very, very early morning exercisers, just not, not by choice, but by necessity. So, so.
1: yeah, I think you can actually get away with training on empty when it's, when it's that early in the morning, because that's going to be, if you have a perfectly synchronized circadian rhythm, that's, that's when the cortisol increases, that's when you still have high testosterone. Uh, so and the cortisol will mobilize glycogen from your liver, um, and, will, and you also have the highest fat mobilization at that time. So you can actually get away with training at that time, since you you're, you're basically just mobilizing a lot of fuel from your body, and you should also have some amino acids from the last meal, uh, the day before, if you uh, you know if you did it according to what what we recommend, which is basically a double double protein serving for the last meal uh, so say so yeah, i think you can get away with it but uh, this, this is going to be really individual some people feel great just training on empty and then having breakfast whereas others might prefer having some fruit, a small piece of fruit just to get the blood sugar up and then you know go train and then have mm-hmm. their breakfast
0: you just mentioned a double protein meal before bed uh, can you touch on is it a myth that, that the whole thirty grams um, per meal that uh, you can only absorb thirty grams and you should try to keep, not eat any more than that?
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, just bullshit. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, someone actually promised like a ten thousand dollar reward if any, anyone could prove that this was the case, and uh, no one has uh, claimed that reward yet. So I think we can we can put that to to death. Yeah. Um, there, there's there's both an evolutionary reason for having a high protein meal for the final meal. Uh, if you think about it, we are hunter gatherers, and we you know spend the day foraging and hunting and uh, you know collecting food, and then we would sit down um, around the campfire and, and have our protein meals, like you know fish, wild game, uh, whatever we hunted during the day. And it also seems like the metabolism is suited for metabolizing protein and putting it to good use uh, throughout the late evening and night. And uh, there is some research. um, I I actually discussed this with with, uh, Stu Phillips. Uh, They have a lot of uh, research on both having a casein shake before bed, and this will over time actually increase anabolism and muscle growth. Uh, but also just having a larger protein meal of whole food proteins as the final meal, uh, he quoted a figure of, uh, 0.6 grams of protein per kilo body weight. So, you know, it's, it's going to be around 40 to 60 grams of protein for most people, mm-hmm. uh, depending on body weights. And, um, if, if, you know, it's, it's a steak or it's chicken or it's, uh, you know, big, uh, serving of fish or shrimp or whatever, mm-hmm. um, whatever tickles you fancy there, uh, it's going to provide protein for the next 8 yeah. to 10 to 12 hours anyway. So, so you're going to be covered. I mean, even, even the fastest protein source uh, is metabolized or, or um, uh, digested at a rate of 10 grams per hour. So even yeah. the fastest whey protein is going to take three hours to, to digest if you have 30 grams. Mm-hmm. So 60 grams of whey protein is going to take six hours. If you you know have whole food proteins and a and a whole meal with uh, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and and just uh, a big meal is going to digest for the next twelve hours. hmm
2: mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. You touched on neurotransmitters. I don't know if this is like kind of in your in your scope. Probably, well, who am I kidding? Probably is. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people they avoid carbohydrates before they train uh, because they want to keep uh they want to keep you know serotonin low. They say. <laughs> I don't know how they're measuring this, but they want to keep serotonin low and dopamine high so that they can have more like more energy and drive while they train. Um, especially like during like more, you know, lower rep neurologically demanding stuff. I've always kinda thought it sounded cool in theory, but if I can't measure it, I, I you know what I mean? I can't really buy into it. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts on that are.
1: Uh, well the dose makes the poison, this is what they say. So Having uh, like this high, um, this high carb, um, you know, these this, uh, this, um, this, this carb drinks um, where you ingest like 100 grams of carbs, um, and then 30 minutes later you, you go to the gym and try to lift weights, you're gonna crash horribly. So you're, you're gonna feel just really bad. Uh, I just tell people to have a, you know like a banana or an apple or some fruit, and if it 's a particularly long workout, just have some bring along some fruit and eat that during the workout so mm-hmm. just taking the blood sugar into the like the high higher range but not super high and and you know not not where you start crashing uh, and it's just um, I think everyone is reporting. Uh, better workouts from it and a higher volume tolerance. Uh, Menno is sort of contrary there because he he claims that it's mostly a psychological effect and Mm -hmm. there's not really any research showing that you improve your performance or have any benefits from carbs. But, you know, what I say is, well, if it's a placebo effect, then it's a good placebo effect. And I also love fruit. Just, just, you know, enjoy your fruits and, and go train. Right. So I, I, I never crash during the workout. I do tend to crash if it's been like four, five, six hours since the last meal mm-hmm. and I don't have any carbs. So I know what I prefer. Mm-hmm.
2: I've, I've made my best gains off of both bro science and the placebo effect. So that's... <laughs> yeah. <there you>
0: <laughs> now, um, I, I haven't been following you as long as, as Brian has. It's probably only been about two years and I came across your work um, because I was following Jake Wilson, and I—that's I, how I came across occlusion training. So I was doing more in-depth, well, searching around for gaining more insights about occlusion training, and that's when I came across your article on. Myo reps. So here we go. I've been. It's been an hour here. I've been chopping at the bit to talk to you about myo reps. <laughs> all right. All so, right, so, sure. so kind of explain um, to our listeners, even myself, um, a little bit more in depth insights of how uh, myo reps came to be and some of the science behind
1: it. Um, well, it started, I think it was in 2006, 2005, 2006. That's when, when I started experimenting with it. Um, I, uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, Matt Wormbaum, uh, the author of this, uh, uh, one of the best reviews we have on frequency, volume, and, um, and intensity. Uh, he's a Swedish uh, researcher, just a really overall smart guy and he also both walks to walk and talk to talk i mean the guy is huge so <laughs> yeah I mean, it was it was sort of funny cuz i always pictured this this nerdy science and geeky guy with a white lab coat but when i met him i mean it was it was big as a house so it was it was really interesting just to see um, all the stuff he he had been looking into and just discuss this with him and um, as he started doing more research into the occlusion stuff, training uh, occlusion-type training, uh, he uh, actually started doing some of this, just comparing the occlusion training where you have a blood pressure cuff or an external occlusion mechanism uh, versus just having constant tension reps or what I call internal occlusion. And in some cases, they, the internal occlusion actually had an improved re- response versus the external occlusion, especially as you get more advanced. Um, I think the reason for this is is, um, uh, is simply that when you have a larger muscle mass, you can also uh, uh, contract your muscles harder and and block the blood flow a lot better than you can do with a with an external blood pressure cuff that applies pressure, you know, to the both the skin and then the outside fibers of that muscle. Uh, so having a shortcut like this where you can just keep constant tension on the muscle and just squeeze and contract and keeping, you know, having some isometric contractions in there and just to spice it up uh, just, just makes the whole uh, response a lot more profound, a lot more significant than uh, what you can a- achieve by external uh, occlusion. Uh, what it shows is that you can achieve a really high level of uh, motor unit recruitment, so you can basically achieve 100% recruitment of all muscle fibers, and uh, other lines of research is showing that this is uh, the key for Hypertrophy. You need to reach 100% motor recruitment, and you have to stay at this level just to expose all the fibers to the mechanical tension. Uh, The metabolic uh, stimulus is also going to bring about an additive effect. It does seem to increase satellite cell activity, and I think you know a lot of a lot of research has shown that advanced lifters and even non-responders in the intermediate lifter group have uh, an insignificant satellite cell response from training, whereas the high responders and also beginners, they have um, sort of this um, this elevated satellite cell response. Uh, so basically reinitiating the satellite response is, is also going to increase your muscle building potential. Uh, so that's that's, you know, just an extra bonus uh, from the occlusion-type training. Um, but the, the main effect is basically staying in that effective range, uh, effective being 100% muscle fiber uh, recruitment, and keeping the rest periods short so that you can stay at that level and just getting a lot of time under tension, time under load under effective tension. That's that's the key for, for my reps. So instead of doing like 30 reps and then resting for a couple of minutes, then having to start all over again, you just take a short break and then you maintain that high level of recruitment. So you don't have to burn through all that glycogen and all those type 1 fibers to, to really hit the high threshold fibers.
2: So this isn't like scaling down, like doing a drop set where you know you're doing drop after drop until you're using... You know basically pink dumbbells, and this is still maintaining uh, a very high load
1: uh, well I, th- I I found that if you want to use my reps uh, as an addition to the rest of your training uh-huh. i uh, I tend to stick to the fifteen to twenty five rep range nowadays okay. okay so it's lighter loads uh, and this is where my reps really shines is that lighter loads because you can uh, you can get to a high muscle uh, fiber recruitment and you can stay at that level. You can maintain this high level, even at light, lighter loads. And that's the whole point of occlusion training. I mean, uh, hypoxia will increase muscle fiber recruitment. So where you would normally be able to do 50 reps, you can only do 30 reps when you uh, add occlusion. So the, the whole point is just increasing muscle fiber recruitment, staying at that level, um, and getting all that extra bang for your buck uh, in terms of uh, satellite cell recruitment that you can't really get from the heavier loads in advanced lifters. They've done research uh, with uh, elite powerlifters that had no satellite cell response after their grueling two-, three-hour workouts. But one set... Of occlusion training, doing leg extensions or leg press, and they had this really profound increase in the satellite cell activation. So there's there's something there that that's really, I think they're just digging deeper into that stuff uh, at the moment. So we don't really have all the data yet, but it's it's interesting for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I, before doing myo reps, I was I was a fan of um, of hundred rep sets where I'd aim for that. Um, 20 reps on my, on my first set, and then just rest for, for five to 15 seconds and do as many more reps as I could. And then rest for five to 15 seconds, as many rep, more reps as I could until I hit a hundred. And then I think that's why, I, and, and I responded really well to that, but then I, I came across your myo reps and I really like the the auto-regulated variation of it where, where I'll aim for the 15 to 20 reps. And then I'm, my goal is to rest for five to 15 seconds Do do four reps and then do four more yeah. reps and, until I can't do four more reps anymore. Um, it's easier for me to count, first of all, because <laughs> I'm not aiming for a specific <laughs> number and, and lose track as I'm counting to 100. Um, but I don't know. It's something uh, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed it. has been very effective for me.
1: Yeah, and there's something to be said for auto regulated training, and that's uh, you know what we talked about earlier about uh, flexible uh, periodization and uh, uh, sort of training according to how you feel that day. And I'm, I'm getting more and more, uh, that's basically what I'm doing myself these days. And, uh, and in many clients it just improves the results a lot. I, I give them like three different workouts to choose from and depending on how they feel that day they can choose the one they want. Uh, and I also use, uh, similar to what Mike Tushir is doing, I also worked mm-hmm. with him for a while, and um, he, you know, he's doing some my reps in his powerlifting training, and I'm doing some RTS in, in my training and with my clients, and just, just having something, some, uh, a set of rules, uh, either allowing you to lift heavier that day if you have it in you, or limiting your, your loads and your volume if you don't, I think that's that's just sort of the key to to progress in in uh in a lot of people that tend to push no matter how they feel that day or or don't push just because the program is telling them not to
2: oh yeah 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 that's a that's a peeve of mine i think if you're if you show up and you really feel like bringing it i mean no matter what your program says, I think you kind of owe it to yourself to <laughs> to go for it. Cause there's so many times you'll show up and you just don't feel like it. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool.
0: Good stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm kind of going through that this month. This month I, I, I dialed back the volume. It, it, it kind of, well, it all started because I, I wasn't feeling all that well. I got a head cold. So I'm like, ah, eh, I don't want to push it all that much. So dial things back really kind of stuck to around the eight to 10 rep range. And, um was just kind of working on my form the mind muscle connection not really pushing it too hard but then one day um i just i, I had it i just complete. i felt strong I, I did my first set I'm like damn i feel good and um so i just I, I hammered out a strong bench and then i i bumped up the weight it felt better and I ended up having a an incredible workout but then the following week uh, or a few days later, when I was set to do that same program again, I, man, it felt so good to push that that heavy weight. And then I tried to do it, and I can, couldn't get anywhere near it. And I'm, I had to really, I had to really kind of check my ego at the door and realize that it's just, it's just not a day that I have in me. And my workout would become less effective if I was really trying to hit those numbers instead of just going with what my what my body was kind of telling me that day. Yeah,
1: I agree. <laughs> I think and and this is what the best coaches in the world uh you know when they when they're at the gym with their lifters or you know with their athletes they have the trained eye the coach's eye that allows them to see okay you're having a great day just you know push for a PR uh but if you're not you know sort of go over to the to the sauna or something uh, just you know cool down and, and stretch or do something else it's it's you know so, just, just, and that's the problem. At the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, CrossFit, you know, where it's do or die and, you know, no yeah. pain again yeah. and, and no brain, no pain or whatever. <laughs> just it's, it's stupid, it's ridiculous. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's bringing a lot a lot of clients for manual therapists. So, uh, <laughs> just yeah. you know, use your head a little. I mean, be, be more in tune with your body and, and listen to what it's telling you and don't push it when when you're at the brink of injury mm-hmm.
2: all
0: right as we're uh, as we're getting ready to wrap up the call here what you've mentioned that the software program that you're working on it sounds like some books are in the work what, what can we expect from you to see from you uh this this coming year
1: yeah the uh, like I said the cybernetic fitness with uh, with Hanselman is, is uh, hopefully gonna launch over Eastern it's been delayed uh, many many times over it's just taking so long to bug test everything uh, but that's um, I'm basically gonna move my English blog and my articles um, on the free uh, on the, on the free section of that site and then we we're gonna have a, like a member section where you can log in and read uh, a lot more advanced and recent stuff. Uh, then there's the book project with R. Witten. The first one is just focusing on how to eat for uh, you know, superhuman energy, basically. And as a bonus, you get fat loss from it. And then the next book is going to focus more on the, the hardcore crowd and how to build muscle and really eke out the, 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 the tiny extra results. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just going to keep uh, sharing... With the, with the world, uh, my thinking and my philosophy, and if I hit upon something cool, that I'm so fortunate to have a, a network of uh, scientists and, and uh, muscle muscleheads uh, that you know can can share all the cool stuff with me, and I can uh, either share it directly or fine tune it and making it, make it into my own. Um, mm-hmm philosophy just tie things together and bring it out to the masses so you know it's this is my true passion this is uh, you know just what i love to do so uh,
0: you can feel it man you can feel it i've really <laughs> i've really enjoyed getting to know you a bit better throughout this call and i really appreciate you taking the time to come on with this uh, it's been a lot of fun it's been a yeah. lot of fun
1: yeah, it's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. So I really appreciate you inviting me to this and uh, allowing me to empty my way too big head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. There's, there's, there's never They need to make bigger rooms for our, our egos as we walk through uh, bigger doors as we walk through.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> bigger mirrors yeah. for us to fit it in as uh, when we're training too. <laughs>
1: Right, yeah, I'll look yeah, I I'll hope it. to meet you guys if I, uh, you know, I, I plan to come over uh, to the U.S. Uh, sometime this year. Uh, going to Florida, I might hit the, the Fitness Summit again in Kansas, Kansas City if that happens again. So, you know, if you're there, I'm going to hit you up. And Excellent. Love, uh, we'll, love
0: keep, it. we'll keep an eye on your travels. And we'll, we're both Canadians. So we'll be traveling to the U.S. to do that as well.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: And awesome. also that, that big Swiss conference, uh, Swiss is back after ten years, and that's in that's in near, close to Scott, it's in Toronto. And uh oh, yeah, yeah, the line yeah, the lineup for that in November is really good. Like uh, Oh
1: yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. Very
0: yeah. cool. Well, thanks a lot. I, I'm sure I'm sure the people listening to this podcast have uh have Gained some some great insights from from what you've shared today. So once again, I just appreciate you having coming on with us. And uh, as always, Brian, it, it's great to, to be chatting with you, buddy.
1: Yeah, you bet. Hope I didn't ramble too much. Oh, dude, this is oh, excellent,
0: right. fantastic. <laughs> I, I am just really, I'm stoked to get this up for our, our, our audience right now. I'll be, oh, this will be the quickest you'll ever see me edit uh, a podcast and get it up on my site because I'm just excited to share this this with the uh, with the world and be linking to your website and everything else that we've we've mentioned in the call. So yeah, thanks a lot. This has been a great episode, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Yeah, you bet. thank you. See. You.